I mean, it was uh, unbelievable. Give hear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For He is a rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Oftentimes, whenever God decides to do something, he does something really big, like on a very big scale. Uh, for example, we're going to be looking in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, what has led up to that moment in history is the fact of um, God is bringing his people into the promised land. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. They're going over the law of Moses once again. And toward the end of Deuteronomy, they're given the choice. Which way are they going to choose? Are they going to follow God or are they going to choose some other way? Now, this uh, slide right here, uh, this, this picture, shows us how big of a scale God likes to do things. Now, what he's doing is he gives them this choice and he actually divides up the people. He puts some of them on Mount Ebal and then some of them on Mount Gerizim. And he does curses on the one hand and blessings on the other hand. And it's a big show, really. This is a, a very big scale of all the people kind of spreading out among this, this area here uh, that is listed on the screen. And you've got one mountain that represents the curses, one mountain that represents the blessings. And they're given this choice. They see the blessings that can be theirs. They see the curses that can be theirs. And the choice is up to them. What are they going to do? And I think in many ways, that's kind of extended to us. Now, yes, it's, it, the specifics are a little different, but if we look at the specifics right here, I think it can teach us something about God's nature and also teach us something about following God and making this same choice today. So let's take a look at a few of these passages from Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy 30, I'm gonna look at verses four through 10 at first. This tells us some of the promises that God gives them if they choose to turn back to him. He says in Deuteronomy 34 through 10, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and the fruit of your womb the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. 
If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So right here, these are the statements. These are the promises that are given. If they do go astray and then come back, God has promised that he will gather them. Even if they are very far across the earth, he loves them enough that he will gather them back and he will do something among them. And we actually see, very interestingly enough, kind of the history of this because we see, yes, the people of Israel, they fall away from God. They worship other gods, but then they do decide to come back and to serve God. And whenever they come back and they serve God, they see some of these things that are listed in this passage. They see some of them, but they don't see all of them. So it kind of makes Israel wonder, okay, is God going to do this thing that he has promised that he's going to do? Well, if you keep reading, there's a little bit more to this promise and a little bit more to this occasion. Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 14 tells us, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. This shows us the love of God because God doesn't just leave us with some impossible task. He has always revealed himself. He's always revealed his will. As verse 14 states, his word, his word is near us. What's pointed out here, and I want you to remember these things whenever you, you hear them again, in your mouth and in your heart. Remember those things. They're going to show up because these things show up in the New Testament. Our mouth and our heart are fully engaged in what we embrace in the fulfillment that of course the the ultimate fulfillment of this passage and the ultimate bringing them back and restoration and salvation and deliverance that's mentioned in this chapter it ultimately comes through jesus christ himself but i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself so let's keep reading in deuteronomy 30 but already at this point we definitely see god loves them so much he has made it possible for them to hear this word he's made it possible they don't have to, to go up into heaven. They don't have to cross some sea. It's not far away in any direction. It is right there in your mouth, in your heart, so that you may obey it. Now, verses 15 through 18. We see right here this. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to the other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So here in this passage, he, he states what is required of us. Yes, God has given all these promises, but you know, there is something that we are required to do. Verse 16 talks about this. These things have been laid out for us, life and prosperity on the one hand, we have death and destruction on the other hand. Well, what do we need to do in response to this? Verse 16 tells us that this is commanded that uh, we love God or that the people love God and that they walk in obedience with him, keeping his commands, his decrees, his laws. That's what they are told. And in so many ways, that can almost just kind of be repeated for us today. We are also called to love uh, the Lord our God. We are called to obey him. Now, 
The way that we love God, I don't know that that's going to be all that different. Now, the way we obey him is different, but it's different because of Jesus Christ today. But we can still see the specifics that are mentioned right here and the, the wonderful things about these promises that God gives to a people he knows they are going to disobey, and they do, but he knows that he can also bring them back. He knows that he can restore this relationship, and he's going to do that through his son, Jesus Christ. A few more verses, though, from Deuteronomy 30. Verses 19 and 20. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give you to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this passage ends by calling the heavens and the earth as witnesses. Sometimes this is stated in kind of creation, bringing that creation can testify to what has taken place. And the heavens and the earth are called to testify, to give witness that, look, God has set before them life on the one hand, death on the other, blessings on the one hand, curses on the other. Which are they going to choose? God doesn't even just leave it open. He, he is specifically telling this people, he says, choose life. You know the right choice. Will we choose it? Now, I've been mentioning about how these passages are ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And we see that as we look at even the words of Jesus himself. In John chapter 5, one of the statements that he makes to people who are uh, students of the word of God, he says to them um, in John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus said, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. We can come to Jesus and have life. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he picks up on some of these things and he states this to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 10, we see in the first few verses that he has this deep longing for the nation of Israel, for the Israelites to turn to God and to be saved. And he's going to pick up on this language that we looked at in Deuteronomy 30. Remember about um, mouth and heart. We'll see that in just a moment. But at first, he's just pouring out his desire that he wants them to recognize the importance of Jesus Christ. He says it like this in Romans 10, 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He's setting up this, this foundation. He's already mentioning that, look, the Israelites, he wants them to be saved. And wouldn't it be great if the Israelites would be saved? Wouldn't it be great if any nation, any people of any nation, or if we want to say every nation would be saved. Well, Paul has a specific concern for the Israelites. That's where he comes from. You know, maybe you have a specific concern for your own country as well. We can pray and we can desire that our country will come and be saved. But the only way that it's going to happen is by recognizing it's not about our own goodness. It's not about our own righteousness. It's about submitting to God's righteousness. 
And here, what we have is chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse 4 tells us that Christ, he's the culmination of the law. I know that's kind of a fancy word. It's one that doesn't make it into to my everyday speech, but it means that Christ is kind of the finish line. He is what the law was leading up to. Uh, the way that Paul says it in another place is that the law, it's a tutor, it's a, it's a guide that leads us to Christ. But you know what? Christ has come now. So now that Christ has come, what do we see? Now we see that we can be righteous. We can be righteous because Christ fulfilled the law. We are called to believe. We are called to follow Christ. Paul continues on in some very important verses. Verses 5 through 13 now of Romans 10. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you pick up on what he was saying? He uses that language from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now to us, it kind of seems a little weird. He's like, okay, so why is he talking about um, confessing with your mouth or acknowledging you know, with your mouth and then believing in your heart? Why is he talking about those two things? We kind of get those two things, but why is he mentioning those? He's borrowing those that language from Deuteronomy chapter 30 because Jews of his day, if you look at some of the other writings that were that were written around this time or even maybe before this time, you see that several people in the Jewish community, in fact, different Jewish communities, um, they had some type of longing for Deuteronomy 30 to be fulfilled because as, as they looked around at the world that they saw, they recognized their nation, the Israelites, they were still suffering. But Paul's message is that Christ, um, God has now provided through Jesus Christ, this wonderful gift of grace. All these promises that were in Deuteronomy 30 and others, that's just kind of one that they were, they were very hopeful of to see it. They have come to us in Jesus Christ. God has revealed his salvation. God has brought it near to them. He sent Jesus, his son, to earth. And now they are called to openly acknowledge or declare that Jesus is Lord. Now, saying that Jesus is Lord, you know, to us, we're kind of used to that language. But during Paul's day, that was that was very important because when you say that Jesus is Lord, you know, the, the word Lord is, it was a title that was used for Caesar. So if you were saying that Jesus is Lord, guess what that means about Caesar? You're saying that Caesar isn't Lord, at least not the ultimate Lord. And another thing about the, the phrase Lord um, that is a word that was used for the name of God, uh, Yahweh, that's that's used in the Old Testament. So to say that Jesus is Lord, you are saying that Jesus is the Christ, but he is God. He is uh, the, the uh, God of Israel that has taken on flesh. 
the way that John writes it in John 1.14 is that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's what we see. And now through Jesus Christ, we see that this name of Israel's God, it has now been glorified among all the nations in the world. You see all these, these statements that were given in Deuteronomy 30 being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. This message, this word deals with faith. And this is what we proclaim. This is the gospel message. We are called to declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We are also called to believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. And we are told that we will be saved. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, well, well what about these things that God requires? God has always asked for obedience that is part of the salvation, but it's not like we have to do these things in order to be saved. We do these things that God asks. We obey what God has asked us, not so much that we will be saved, because that would be trusting in our own righteousness. Paul's already warned against that. Uh, Jesus warned against that. But it's we obey because we have been saved. We obey because we have been delivered. God's promises have been fulfilled. God's promises have been given to us. Salvation has been given to us. This is wonderful news that we are called to proclaim. Let's make sure that we proclaim it with our mouth. Let's make sure that we believe it in our heart. And let's share these things with others as well. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy God reigns over the nations. God 
Sitz an ist so die Frau.